What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is crackalackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? Yes, it happened. Victor Oladipo was traded to the Houston Rockets, the move that we were all waiting for. Uh, we were also waiting for that James Harden guy to get moved, and he did. It happened rather quickly. He just decided to go scorched earth after their lost to the Lakers the other night, I believed, and they granted his wish and they moved him within, I think, 18 hours of his comments of saying that the Rockets basically sucked and there was no hope for him. That was not verbatim. I'm giving a synopsis of it. Who better to bring on to just go through this type of four-team megabuster? We'll get to the details, but it involved the Rockets, the Nets, the Pacers, and the Cavs. But who better to go through this with than my good friend and colleague, Bleacher Reports, Grant Hughes, as ever, follow him on Twitter, at GT underscore Hughes, and check a look at his work. He's a fantastic writer and basketball mind, and it's always fun to do these reaction pods with you, Grant. First and foremost, though, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm always glad to to be on and speak with you, and um, you giving out my Twitter handle actually you know, makes sense today, because did you realize I tweeted today? I didn't get my notification on my phone that said Grant Hughes tweeted for the first time in a while. So no, I didn't. It was really, it was really great. It was something like I don't know who won the trade, but it made all parties involved more fun. This is that's the kind of analysis you get when you come to my GT underscore Hughes account. Um, look, the one thing I want to say really quickly is I am kind of done with the or was done with the Harden. Where is he going to go? When is he going to get moved? Discourse. Him getting moved to to one of the two primary teams he wanted to get moved to is so anticlimactic and disappointing. I really wanted him to just go somewhere random. And I know now because of Kyrie and stuff in Brooklyn, uh, that is interesting. And then what does this mean for Philly and yada, yada, yada. There's all this cool fallout that we will talk about. But I wanted to see him go to like Toronto, not even making fun of Toronto, but like let me see him in Toronto or you know ship him to like New Orleans just going nuclear. I wanted something like that to happen. I'm convinced that you like – you talked yourself into that just because like I was, and I'm sure everybody that kind of is in our line of work was so tired of, well, it's Brooklyn or it's Philly and we don't know when it's going to be or what exactly, but those are the only two teams. And then like you get sick of thinking that and, and you just want something else. And I totally sympathize with that because it's like, you know, I had just people, friends that follow the NBA casually before, like literally today, based on his comments last night of like, oh, this is going to happen now. He really turned the heat up. And they're like, where do you think he's going to go? And it's just like, it's Brooklyn or Philly. Like, it's not, I wish I had something more interesting. It's just like, I just 
It just wasn't. It didn't make sense. No place else made perfect sense, which was why someplace else would have been more fun, but it just wasn't to be. Well, I convinced myself it wasn't going to be Philly, and that's something we could get into later. But let's so I want to probably better to break this down team by team, and I'll throw it to you first. But let let's go through these details. So if, why don't you sit tight for an hour, and then I'll just run through the, <laughs> all the moving parts here. Uh, here's the full trade. This is per Sham Sharania over at the Athletic. Um, the Houston Rockets are getting Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Rodion's Kurutz, three Brooklyn Nets first-rounders outright in 2022, 2024, and 2026. They're getting one Milwaukee first-rounder in 2022. It's unprotected and via the Cavs. And then they're getting four Brooklyn first-round swaps, 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027, as far out as you can go right now. The Nets are getting James Harden. The Pacers, oh, and they're also getting a second round pick. I have not confirmed the year, though. The Pacers are getting Karis Levert and a second rounder. The Cavs are getting Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Let's start with, we should definitely start with the Pacers here. Now, let's start, let's start, let's start with the Rockets. <laughs> what were your, what are your thoughts, general impressions, grades, whatever that you have for them and how they did in this deal? Uh, yeah, so you and I and some other some others did kind of quick reaction grades, um, and I already don't remember what mine were exactly, but because uh, that's just how my brain works. Um, but I, I the Rockets uh, to me like did I don't know what the grade is. It's an A. It's some version of an A. Um, but but like just looking at where they were uh, as far as everyone in the world had known for months that this guy wants out, they were going to have to trade him. And really it seemed like in the end, they were only competing with one other team, right? So, which was the Sixers. And so you wouldn't think necessarily that that would, you know, enable them to get as much as they got. So all those picks, everything's unprotected. I don't know if you specified that, but oh, yeah, all those, sorry, you know, I forgot to. The, there's just nothing like they are just getting the nets unprotected firsts in even years through 2026 and swapping in the odd ones, basically. Plus that, uh, the Cavs pick via the bucks. It's just, they're that's just a, getting those picks. That is because of the way I phrase it. That's a better way to look at it where it's like, you just have every single Brooklyn pick unprotected, uh, from now until 2027. Yeah. And like, this is kind of a trend that we'd seen, you know, cause with, with, uh, if you weren't giving, you know, the picks outright, you're giving swaps in the odd years to get around the Stepien rule, like the Paul George trade and the Westbrook trade and, you know, various recent superstar trades have kind of had that structure. But the only, the only thing I could quibble with, um, and it's a minor thing really in the scheme of this is that they swapped Karis LeVert for Victor Oladipo, who is in the last year of his deal uh, to me, I think Levert might have had more value if you were thinking just as an asset, like longer, you know, $17.5 million a year on average over the next three. Um, and he's at worst a really good sixth man uh, with an injury history, sure, but Oladipo's not exactly, you know, sterling in that regard. So I think, Ol- I think Oladipo, they, they must have just wanted him or they were kind of into the idea of like, hey, when he's off our books, we might actually have cap space, which is crazy to think about for the oh, Rockets. Oh, lo, lo and behold, the Rockets on accident, of course, well, bucked the tax again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that we probably should have led with that because that – but yeah, no, I think the Rockets did phenomenally well. Um, they basically – you know, if Brooklyn is bad, the Rockets reap the benefits for the better part of a decade, which is – I mean, the, the Nets, I think – at some point are going to be bad. You know, like the, the, the team they've constructed is a bunch of guys, you know, two, the two principals, Harden and Duran are over 30. 
Harden, I think everyone agrees, is probably not going to age great. Um, Kyrie Irving, who knows? We probably should talk about that at some point. But yeah, I thought the Rockets did super well. Um, and they didn't really seem to be in a position of a whole lot of leverage. So, so to do this, um, I was, I was really impressed. I, they, I think they got a ton. Yeah. And also it came at a time when his value theoretically never should have been lower because of how poorly he was playing. And he just came right out and said, this shit's unfixable basically. And I think what probably helped them, and it's kind of in the same vein of what happened with new Orleans and Milwaukee, where, Milwaukee couldn't afford to lose Giannis. So New Orleans could basically set the market on Drew Holiday because he was available. And now you're looking, this is sort of different, but because the Ben Simmons scenario was lurking in Philly, you had to beat out the idea of Houston getting a 24-year-old all-NBA type player under contract for a half decade. The only way to do that, and I I probably still would have preferred Ben Simmons if I'm Houston, uh, but the only way to do that is to include all the picks plus Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, your, your best players there, they were able to broker that. I share your thoughts on the Oladipo stuff. There, He definitely has a higher ceiling than Karis LeVert. You look at what he's able to do defensively. LeVert is the uh, the better passer. Um, they're both, I'll say they're even as like off the dribble scorers. LeVert's again shooting 35.7% on pull-up threes after doing so um, at 38.7% clip last time. Victor Last year, Victor Oladipo's been hitting those looks pretty efficiently. He's probably the easier fit, at least statistically, off the ball right now. LeVert's always struggled with that for some reason. Um, I don't know if because they don't have a bunch of their own picks in the near term that Oladipo is you know more interesting to them because he actually uplifts their roster, or if this isn't issue of, well, maybe this year they're trying to see if they could make the playoffs, then they can be a sign-and-trade vessel for him this summer. Or I've considered, do they just believe that, you know, if, let's say it costs Karis LeVert and a second to get Victor Oladipo, are you just betting that you can get more for Victor Oladipo closer to the trade deadline? That's a tough That's a tough call. I mean, it depends on what, it's a, the, my gut, my, my first reaction when, because we didn't know that the Oladipo Levert thing was part of this until I don't know, like it's sort of like the second phase of the second series of tweets that came out after we knew the deal was done. But my gut was that just like I, it seems to me that the Rockets just preferred Oladipo. They they are just convinced that he's the better player um, because contract wise, you know, I think Levert is just is just a better value. But mm-hmm. I agree with you that you know certainly Oladipo's had the higher ceiling. He was an all NBA justifiable all NBA player. That, but, you know, granted, that's a couple of years ago now and prior to a significant injury. I have some reservations about Oladipo. Like, I've watched the Pacers a handful of times. I can't proclaim to be an expert. You probably should have – you should probably be talking to Caitlin Cooper about this. But, like, he he doesn't look – he looks to – it looks to me like the all-NBA uh, level is just not attainable. I think he could be an all-star guy, but he's not quite as quick. He's getting to the rim more, but he's not finishing nearly as well there as he did. So just little signs of, you know, the bounce and the explosion just aren't going to be all the way back. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is in terms of, to, to me, if, if the Rockets intend to trade Oladipo before the deadline, which seems, I just gut, it seems unlikely. I, I still think, do you get a first for him if if the team that's getting him isn't sure he's going to resign? It's that it's the same thing you run through with any you know expiring contract trade. But um, yeah, I don't know. We're just circling over the top of each other now in terms of the old depot thing. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. 
Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is, you get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Check out our description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Do we agree that the Rockets did the best out of the teams involved in this? Or do you you think someone else... It's such a hard comparison because the other things are so minor compared to what they did, but... I think Cleveland's might have been their side might have been more of a no brainer just because you give up a unless something like if Drew Holiday leaves Milwaukee this summer or something like that 2022 pick is going to be garbage positioning. And so you turn it into Jared Allen, essentially, and Torian Prince, who in theory is a useful one who can hit threes. You don't want him operating off the dribble and he's always underachieved defensively. But just another wing to put on your roster. And he comes off the books after next season, I believe. But um and then you get Jared Allen, who's a viable defensive anchor, a better fit long-term just with age and function to, to your roster. And yes, he's going to be a restricted free agent. And yes, the Cavs were going to have cap space, so they could have theoretically gotten him for nothing. It is so hard to poach worthwhile restricted free agents. And now they have the veto rights on him. And I think that's sort of made this more of a, a no-brainer. I know now you sort of tether yourself to the rising cost of a roster since he's going to run long-term money. Colin Sexton's extension eligible. Darius Garland's going to be right behind him. You still have Kevin Love on the books. At the same time, they might have just paid Andre Drummond over the next two or three years anyway. I'd rather have Jared Allen over the next four than whatever Andre Drummond's going to give you at that price point. So I thought that was more of a no-brainer, but I think because their outlook in Houston was just so dire and you knew how this was going to end, you could probably spin it as they made out the best of any team just because they had the the gloomiest outlook of any of them. And just, I mean, you know, you mentioned the Nets, and we should probably wrap up the cast quickly. I'll throw that to you in a second since I just talked about them. But having those picks go so far out, I don't know when Brooklyn's going to be bad, but even if you re-sign Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, all of whom I believe have player options in the summer of 2022. Correct. Like, that's still, that title window is going to run its course even with, two or all three of those stars in tow. And so when you get to like 2025, like that's when those picks start to get super valuable. And then who knows where Houston is at that point? Maybe they do need a top prospect. Maybe they're so good that they can use those picks to trade for another star or something. So they got eight, they in essence got eight first round picks. That's what they essentially got here. That is, that is wild. It, it's a, it's unheard of. I real quick on Cleveland because this nobody cares relative to the rest of this. But like, what do we always ask bad teams to do? 
you know, if they have cap space, you know, instead of spending it, instead of whatever, just take on a bad money with a first attached. Like that's our just default. That's what we always ask bad teams to do. And so I think if you're critical of Cleveland for taking on Torian Prince, who I think is bad money, um, all this is is just pretend Jared Allen is a, is a future first or, or what, just think of that as the asset that you're getting with this bad money. Like it's the same thing. So I, I just – I don't know what the what the possible criticisms of Cleveland's end of this could be, but if it's that that like oh you know you got this dead salary of Prince, you're gonna have to pay Allen. Just think of it like he's 22, right? Like just think of it as you got a really useful, valuable first round pick, and you had to take on a guy that's got 25 million or so over the next two years. Like that's just that's good business. That's smart. I I, I think the Cavs. And now you look at if you have Sexton and Garland who have both looked just like objectively good this year when they've played right and you have now a 22 year old center like the timeline's starting to line up you have 75 bigs on the roster that'll have to change like that's one of the shoes but the other thing is like i did see criticism on twitter for that it's like andre drummond's gonna be a free agent maybe you can still so it's and it's mcgee and it's like you can't you can't think in terms of kevin love's contract either it just you can't it can't work like that and just before i throw it back to you and sorry for interrupting is like no coro nance and Allen as a front court, that is incredibly great. Like defensively, yeah. that has serious that, potential. That's really fun. Yeah, I for I should I didn't even think of Okoro as part of that core, but yeah, he's got some. He's got a little something. I think so far we've seen at least athletically and defensively. That's fun. Um, we got to talk Brooklyn though, I guess. Right? Uh, I, I'm gonna guess you're higher on the Brooklyn side than I am because I've gradually talked myself into it being a, a kind of a catastrophe for the Nets. Over do you the remember what day. you gave them as a grade when you were doing it for Bleacher Report? I gave them a C. I do remember okay. that. So um, I gave them a B minus, which means we're not like too far away. But you seemed like you're ready to give them an F when I was texting you before we started recording. Yeah, I, and this just is. I'm pretty fickle, uh, but but. I just the more I thought about it, uh, th- so they got the best player in the trade, right? Like that's that's probably your starting point. That's generally that's in terms of when superstars get traded, you always talk about the other side got seventy five cents on the dollar, or however you want. You know, they got a bunch of pieces and, and assets and whatever, and it just never seems to go as well for that end of it. So you got the best player, that's good. From there, it's just. I don't know where to start, really. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the obvious the obvious one and the really hack take is, you know, that there's only one ball thing. Um, and to me, that's just like so trite and so easy to say that, like, I almost don't want to say it. But Harden is like the most singular distillation of that kind of idea where he has played this one unique way for a very long time, and I'm not convinced that he can play a different way. Like, you cannot have Houston Rockets, James Harden on the Nets. I don't think. If you did, like, Durant and Kyrie Irving are pretty awesome spacers, and you're never going to be able to throw two guys at Harden without really paying for it. But I just have a hard time believing that the Nets are going to just become the Rockets, and Harden's going to play the same. Just the fit the fit issue, the one ball thing, that to me is a real kind of minefield that I just— Steve Nash is a first-year coach. I know D'Antoni's there. That's just a lot to try to figure out over the course of a truncated season with major stakes because, as you said, 2022, all these guys can go. Or, you know, somebody's going to be unhappy at something. So that's the big one. The other thing is, are you telling me – I know Bradley Beal is not technically available. Are you telling me that you couldn't have put, like – 
75% of this offer on the table to get Beal, who I think would have made more sense. And I think would have not just completely, you know, assured that Beal's a bad defender, but I think Harden's on another level. Like I just, the opportunity cost thing, what was the urgency on Brooklyn's part to give up so much for just this guy. There were going to be other players where you wouldn't have had to surrender as much. Maybe you hold on to Allen and your defense isn't god awful at the rim forever from now on. Maybe, you know, I don't know what the other moves are. I just have a hard time getting, you know, feeling good about giving up this much for this guy right now with all the fit issues, with all the defensive issues it's going to cost. I, I just, it just makes me it makes me think that the look the ceiling may be higher because maybe there's a slim chance that this it's all the roof. works. You might even it's say. the roof. The ceiling's the roof. Yeah, but like the disaster potential is immense now. I think and the the negative consequences of this going disastrously are similarly immense because if you are bad, you have no route out of this. Like you're you're just giving top five picks to the Rockets forever <laughs> if you if you're bad. So I just, uh, that's, I, I'll throw it to you. I'm sure I'm going to come up with five more things, but, but that's kind of where I've sort of slid down to after thinking initially, well, they got the best player. They're going to outscore absolutely everybody. Uh, but then all the doubts kind of started to creep in. So that's kind of where I'm at on it. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, I think the more I've thought about it and maybe part of listening to you has made me a little bit lower on it. They've just they've shrunk in their window so much. And I don't want to compare it to what they did with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett because age, what is it, 31 James Harden is not yeah. age 37 Kevin Garnett, is not age 36 Paul Pierce. So there's a huge difference there. I'm wondering, and maybe this is where it hurts us that we haven't done any other research before we're like we're listening to other takes before recording this podcast. Does it say anything about Brooklyn's view on the viability of Kyrie Irving long term that they went ahead and did this now? I don't want to speculate why he's not with the team. And I've I would I've basically held off commenting on it until we actually know because you know that the Nets and presumably his teammates know actually more than they're letting on to if he actually yeah. hasn't spoken with his teammates or kevin durant like yeah there, there's an issue with that uh, the thing that still is tough to reconcile is he is the vice president of the players union that collectively bargained this season setup including what's happening now where there's even more you know stringent measures being put in place and then to see the video of him at his i think it was his sister's 30th birthday party without a mask i know it's immediate family but again this was just part of the deal of signing on um, to play this season. And you're the vice president of the players union. That's, that's what's tough for me to wrap my head around. I understand that the coverage of him to some extent has been unfair. I've gone back and forth with, I'm uncomfortable how his mood swings have been covered. Um, that, that information is just out there and it's almost discarded as if, what if it's actually a symptom of something else? I'm also not sure. going to diagnose Kyrie Irving from afar because that's unfair. One, I can't, I'm not an expert, but two, that's unfair to Kyrie Irving, too. You can't just assume that he's depressed all the time. So I don't know enough to really pass a judgment on the Kyrie Irving stuff and how validated or not this absence is or how extensive or not it is. The latter, I think, is what's more important is you made this deal now for a reason. It came together super quickly. It seems like there was at least it was happening last night, like just the sense of the way Harden was playing. Like it, you get the sense this was unfolding before Harden's actual presser. And maybe he just decided to unleash to get it past the goal line or because he was just done and knew it was happening. Who knows? That's the thing that I have to wrap my head around. And you've, you're, you, you have 
subscribed yourself to this two-year window by having Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And what, you, what you've done is, look, Kevin Durant, as we're recording this, played into a back-to-back for the first time, and he beat the Knicks, but it's it's the Knicks. You've, you're better suited now to navigate the games he will miss and the games that Kyrie Irving's already missing and inevitably will miss as well in a way that Karis LeVert was never going to help you do. Maybe if Spencer Dinwiddie never gets injured, it's harder for me to wrap my head around the logic here. Uh, I think now, though, star power had to trounce depth for them just because of what they're dealing with in terms of Dinwiddie's injured. We don't know what is going on with Kyrie Irving. And just looking at the the long-term trajectory of this team, I don't know that you could bank on you know, all three of these guys being here past their current contracts, you know, when they're able to opt out. And Kyrie's long just been fickle. He wanted his number retired in Boston, only didn't leave that following summer. And so you've inoculated yourself a little bit, maybe against him becoming disenchanted with with the franchise. And I think that's where it's justifiable. And because you're on this finite window anyway, it does make sense to go all in. I would be curious to know, one, whether Kyrie was on board or how much he knew about this. And two, you have to assume Kevin Durant gave the green light here because you're not making Kevin Durant's the one who can dictate the decision making here because he's Kevin Durant. He's more important to you than Kyrie Irving is. Like that's just a fact, especially given how KD has played now. So I, I, I as you you said, the one ball argument is kind of like lowbrow, and it is, but it's too easy. It it's feels too, easy. too easy. At the same time, one of these guys needs to be the third option, and yeah. I don't think any of them are going to feel good about it. And it's not going to be Kevin Durant. Like that's not going to be your third option, even though he might functionally be the best suited to be the third option because of how good a hundred percent he is. He he sort of has done this, you know. So and maybe that's what makes it easier. And the other thing is like you can kind of use James Harden as your Karis Levert just without bringing him off the bench because they were basically before the the injuries, before Kyrie's absence. KD and Kyrie Irving were just playing so many minutes together, and so now you can still do that, but instead of you know maybe you just stagger Harden from the two of them. And there's the sense that that works. Still, it's fair to question like how this looks on offense. And I'll close it with this. James Harden has taken, over the past two seasons and eight games, because that's how many games he's played this year, he has taken 1,943 three-pointers. How many of those do you think have come off the catch? I was going to cut you off and say, you're going you're gonna to give a James Harden catch-and-shoot stat right now. I have no idea. But I'm sure the number is like a joke how small it is. 155, which is fewer than 8% of all his yeah. three-point attempts. That's and look, What did he hit him at? Uh, the catch-and-shoot ones? I didn't calculate that. But he oh, was, damn it. I put, that's on me. I put you on the spot. My fault. Um, it's, quick eye test, though. He is probably about like 40% on them yeah. from what it looks like. Uh, he was that's over – he's been over – oh, yeah. He's well over 40%. So there's that. Probably about 42%. So that's good, but it's such an infrequent part of his game. And yeah. he was playing with other stars during that time. That's Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and then whatever time he spent with John Wall, I guess, <laughs> this year. So I, I think it's fair to question how the fit works out. I would default to I think they'll be fine offensively. So the questions are what happens to the defense? What does this look like long term? Have you mortgaged too much of your future? Or have you actually done the right thing because, hey, maybe this is something where you couldn't count on Kyrie to stick around anyway and you'll still have James Harden and Kevin Durant – and look, whoever resigns from this group, I think it's probably fair to say that let, let's just throw the contracts out of the equation. How long do you think the title window in Brooklyn would be open with at least two of these three players there? Probably three, four years? Yeah, not beyond that, certainly, just because, you know, Harden and Durant will be in their mid to late 30s. You know, that's just, that's it. 
And if you view it through that context, though, of, hey, we're trying to wedge open a three to four year window, I, I find it more justifiable. At, but again, at the same time, and I won't give away this tape because it's something I have about why I didn't think the Sixers should do it. I'm not just I'm just not sure this was the season to make such a move like this. Oh, interesting. All right. So I got to hit a couple things that that stuck out to me because um, we're going to stick with Brooklyn. Um, so the the first thing is, I agree that Durant had to have had had to have given an an okay or a nudge maybe like hey you need to do this and that is to me like inextricable from the Irving situation like if we presume that Durant knows something let's Stephen A. Smith I think has said like Kyrie should retire I don't know I, I don't know like but let's say that's like let's, just putting like yeah, value I, or to a situation that we we really don't no, I'm sure there are media members that know more like we know yeah, that's how oh, the game works yeah. Still, like we don't know enough to be like, oh, Kyrie doesn't want to play basketball. It's like, I mean, Kyrie's ridiculously good at basketball. I'm gonna yeah. go out on a ledge and say he at least enjoys it to some extent, and maybe just hates seems, everything that goes with he's, it. He seems unhappy or less happy about literally everything else but basketball. Like I think you know, so that that's that's a little out there. But so the the Kyrie thing is interesting because. Like which way, let's say hypothetically, the Nets, Durant, somebody involved on that side has an, has reason to believe that Irving is just not going to be around, whether that's the rest of this year or whatever. Let's say that that was part of the impetus for, well, shit, we got to get Harden in here. Or if Durant says, you got to get me somebody if I'm not going to have this guy. Let's just say hypothetically that's it. I think that actually makes the trade I mean, in one sense, you got to do what Durant says, like that, I guess. But just from a, a competitive perspective, that makes the trade less defensible. Because if you're talking about, well, the Nets are pushing for this tiny window that what what they're trying to do is get the ceiling as high as possible. I don't think Harden, Durant, and like what they've got left is enough. I think if you're going for the high ceiling, you need all three of those guys. So if if part of the reasoning was we're not going to have Kyrie, so let's do this. I don't know. I think that at least that's at least a debate like that at least cuts both ways for whether that justifies or sort of whatever the opposite of justifies. It pushes you pushes you away from doing the deal just because the ceiling is lower without Kyrie. Um, the other thing is like there is a lot of sense to me in in how they how the Nets could stagger. Right. Like just if you say Harden is going to be the Levert, that's cool. Like he can just he could play Harden ball with, you know, and however many minutes Durant and Irving aren't out there, whatever you want to do. But again, if your goal is to win the most important games against the best competition, you got to be able to put all three of these guys on the floor at the same time. And it has to work because, you know, that, that's just, you can't, it's, it's cool if it's going to preserve these guys in the regular season or the fit works better if you split them up. But in the end, they got to play together and they got to play against really great defenses and and defend really great offenses and that's the last thing is i think brooklyn is going to lead the league in the amount of zone defense played <laughs> for the rest of the year i would bet almost anything on it because this is untenable like deandre jordan cannot move and james harden defenses have been designed specifically to switch just for him for years and so now like that's not going to work because you're going to involve jordan and harden in every pick and roll and like that's just you can't the Nets defense is bad as it is. It just got so much worse. So I just think you cannot engage teams man to man from now on. I think you have to play zone. It's going to be crazy. It's going to look like a college team. But I will bet you, it, 
look, I don't, I don't know. But if it were me, like I would just look at the personnel and say, we can't guard anybody straight up. We have to do weird stuff. And I think if any, that's one of the most interesting aspects to me is how the Nets are going to figure out ways to make this defense not be bottom five. Like, because that's where they're headed with this, with the players they have right now. What's kind of ironic, they're 13th per cleaning the glass and points allowed per possession. There's a lot of noise in there. But I looked at their defensive location, effective field goal percentage, which just in case anyone doesn't know, is if this team allowed the league average field goal percentage from all their locations on the floor, what would be their opponent's expected field goal percentage? They rank fifth in this. And so they're allowing, for the most part, the the right types of shots. They're 13th in the frequency with which opponents shoot at the rim, and they're fifth in three-point attempt rate. Now, how much of the rim stuff changes without Jared Allen there? DeAndre Jordan just picked up and did not play coach's decision the day before the game before the trade. And when ESPN tweeted out the graph, uh, tweeted out the graphic of the Nets new lineup, they went with Jeff Green instead of DeAndre Jordan. I don't know how telltale that is, but that is kind of funny because you would think that DeAndre (laughs) Jordan just has the should have the more name recognition at that point. It's it really is fair to wonder, though, like, had they made a move for Aaron Gordon? Without having like, could they? I still feel like they could have do. They could have done Spencer Dinwiddie and a pick for Aaron Gordon or something, or maybe even Orlando's willing to do Spencer Dinwiddie and I'm not sure if the salaries match up. Spencer Dinwiddie and salary for Aaron Gordon, just because they want to take the they want they don't have cap space. They think Spencer Dinwiddie is a great fit. ACL tears aren't the end of the world, and they want Spencer Dinwiddie. Maybe that's something they consider doing. I still think this team is incredibly good, if not better equipped. Again, though, this all presumes that the Kyrie Irving stuff isn't an issue. And that's sure. where – and here's the other thing for me is I don't – I'm not really – the opportunity cost of tangible assets isn't that big of a deal because James Harden is worth Torian Prince, Kuroots, Levert, and Jared Allen in a vacuum. Jared Allen is not changing your defense. He might up the floor a little bit. He's not changing it, and I would argue he's he definitely moves really well on defense and he can step out of the paint – but you could probably approximate his value on the cheap. And he was headed towards restricted free agency, so you might have viewed that as a lost cause anyway. I'm not saying go out and sign Dwayne Dedman and you're going to be fine. That's not what I'm trying to imply. It's the it's the picks that are unsettling. And so if you remove the picks from the equation, which matter to this trade, this deal becomes a lot more defensible from a pure basketball standpoint. I think where the risk really is involved is the future beyond this title window. I don't think they wedged it open any longer than it already was, but they probably have maximized it, again, particularly if you just have no idea what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving right now. Yeah, I I just, I don't know. I think we do get caught up. This is sort of related to what I was saying earlier about, like, it really just matters that your, your best players can play together at the end of a game. We do get caught up in depth, I think, in ways that ultimately aren't as aren't as important as as we think they are, particularly with respect to like if you're in a finals game, you're only playing seven eight guys, and everybody's playing thirty eight minutes. So um, I, I think it's irrefutable that Brooklyn got way thinner, um, but maybe that doesn't matter as much. Again, though, it, I, I I I just I just have such a hard time understanding how they're going to defend. I just I just don't know. Um, it, it is going to be interesting to me because I, I, if this works, I'm not really sure how you guard them, guard the nets. So it's going to be a fairly good test of like, can you just, you know, you always, we joke about bad teams. Well, we're just going to try to outscore them. 
um, your bad defensive teams, like this is going to be a pretty good test of like, can you just actually outscore everyone? Because that's the only way that they're going to win, I think. And, and that's presuming again, uh, and I think we both have our doubts, maybe me more than you that, that like this offensively is going to, is going to look, uh, very good. So yeah, I don't know. I do. I don't know what else I have on the nets. There's just, we've, we've really covered a lot. I think with them. They, they are probably a little bit deeper just than advertised right now, just because Timothy Lowell Cabarro has been really good for them. You have to figure Landry yeah. Sham, it's going to get a bit better. Bruce Brown will give them some defense. He was probably already, he's now their best defender. He just has to be, uh, oh, for sure. There, there, there are real issues here. Um, the, I guess the other thing to look at too is they don't have other moves left in them now. The picks are gone. No. You still have Spencer Dinwiddie's salary, but what team is going to to take him at this point? Again, I mentioned Aaron Gordon, and maybe there was a pathway there if you had other stuff to include. But now it looks like you know would they do Shamit and Dinwiddie for Aaron Gordon, and then how much does that necessarily help you? But they need they need someone to anchor their defense. And Aaron Gordon probably isn't even necessarily that guy. It's just that he gives you someone to cover both bigs and wings. And they don't have that wing stopper. They're probably even less likely to have him now because at least Torrey and Prince body type made sense in that role. Yeah. No, no, you know, you don't want Kevin Durant having to do that. So I am kind of interested to see what happens. Maybe they're big buyout players. Like does Trevor Ariza wind up here or something, but I don't know how, how that ends up tilting in their favor. And this leads me into, I think the last thing to really talk about then is when you're doing a championship hierarchy right now, where do the Nets rank on it? I don't even know that I would have them favored to come out of the East at this point. It's tough. I I feel like with every team, I'd say, well, I just need to see more, but especially with them, I I think, I I think it's reasonable. Like if they, if they did come out of the East, it would not be a surprise. It would not be a shock. I, but like for that to be the expectation, I, I think is crazy. I mean, you know, the Milwaukee, Philly go down you know, Indiana. I don't know. Um, I, I just think, I think it's tough. I, and look, as I was, as you were talking, I don't know if we've mentioned that Dinwiddie has a player option for next year. Um, right. So like, Given his injury, maybe he picks that up, but he's always taken an unconventional path toward his contracts and what he's done and, and all he's that also, stuff. So he's, like, he's heavily vested in Bitcoin, so he's probably doing fine. <laughs> he's in Dinwiddie coin. It's a, it's its own thing. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he, uh, so if you're trading for him, I mean, in addition to the injury and the like, what's he going to be when he's back? You, you don't even know if he's going to, if he's going to opt in. So I like, he's a really tough, to your point. They do not have a lot of other moves. It is going to have to be the buyout market. That, that's just the way that they're going to add talent. I don't see realistically like almost any other way they're going to be able to do anything um, unless they trade Kyrie Irving. I mean, I don't know. That's, I mean, what, I don't know. I'd consider it, but I don't. I don't know how much of this is like Kyrie Irving. Who's trading for him? Well, I think I think you could find a team to do it. The Knicks probably do it in a heartbeat, and I don't know that that would necessarily be a bad decision. Uh, and then not. could you find a third team that because the Knicks don't have stuff that you actually want like you could get other teams involved to get things that you actually want it's I just the thing here's where it gets tricky though is like if Kyrie Irving's on board with this and he just comes back and he's trying hard on defense like he was there's a chance that this ends up being a non-issue but yeah. the whole thing lingering over this is how like does this does his absence right now infer anything about how he's feeling not just about ba- basketball but just towards the Nets like is this does this represent a break in the relationship at all? And I honestly don't know. I'm not speculating one way or the other. I do think it's bizarre, but if there is something that's sort of fractured, then it makes even more sense, though, that you would go out and pay this cost for Harden because maybe there's something going on with Kyrie and KD, and he's 
you know, he and James Harden, they have the higher ceiling together because they're the two better players. And so now Kyrie Irving is, in theory, expendable. Uh, is he gone because they were inching towards this trade and he didn't want it to happen? There are so many scenarios in play there. I just honestly don't know. It wouldn't shock me if they came out of the East, but I think in the West, there are at least two teams that I would definitively favor over them, and that's both LA squads at this point. And you might be able to talk me into a, a – I mean, I remain – in, insanely high on the Phoenix Suns, and I could probably talk myself into them over the Nets. Yeah, no, I, I, I just we need to see more. You are going to get aggregated though for that Kyrie take. That's that's a pretty smart take. I, I hadn't even thought about that. Like that's why he's away. But again, we don't know anything. We 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 can't we can't stress enough how little we know. That's I would. What we'd like I'll say that I might respect it if that's why he's away from the team because they were going to trade for James Harden. Like that's something that I could oh, I could genuinely respect. I think. <laughs> maybe so um you you were you were saying something about this isn't the year to do this am i getting out of order here i'm curious well, what you're gonna say let's be fair to the pacers here first because they were okay, actually sure. involved with the trade so they made an interesting decision victor oladipo a contract year victor oladipo for Karis lavert and the second round pick basically is what it amounts to Karis lavert has including we'll include this season because we're only like you know 10 or 15 games into this season he has three years and $52.5 million is his deal. That's actually the, the extension he signed. He is not the most efficient scorer. He is a better passer than Victor Oladipo, I'd hazard. And he is going to give you some of the same off-the-dribble juice. Not going to finish at the rim, but Oladipo wasn't doing that anyway. He's probably not going to reach it as often either. Not the best. You know, he's not going to bait defenses into fouls. Uh, but I'm just curious as to what you think about this for, for Indiana, this decision. Uh, no brainer. Um, I think uh, it, there were rumblings, you know, weeks, months ago that, that Oladipo was unhappy, which he shot down in, in a kind of uh, me thinks the lady doth protest too much kind of way, like indicating that it actually was true. Uh, and I, I think, look, if you're the Pacers, you're either A, losing Oladipo for nothing or B, probably paying too much to keep him and still facing the specter of whatever this unhappiness, you know, reportedly stemmed from. Um, and so to get a player who I think is at least debatably as good and possibly better, um, that's under contract at a reasonable rate, certainly for far less that you were, than you were going to have to pay for Oladipo. I, I just, I don't know what the downside is. I, I think, you know, there will be concerns of, well, Levert, it's kind of the same thing in, as, as he was facing in Brooklyn. He's just so much better on the ball that, you know, who, who does that take away from? I kind of like what the Pacers have been doing with Sabonis, mm -hmm. you know, can be a facilitator, uh, you know, Brogdon. Well, actually, I mean, I'm almost arguing against myself because I do think Levert makes sense fit-wise, but that's just sort of the counter because I love Brogdon off the ball. Like, I think he's succeeded in that role. He's lights out. He's, you know, he's shooting ridiculously beyond 50-40-90 right now, um, or at least the 50-40 part. I don't know what he's shooting from the line, but like I think Levert makes a lot of sense. He gives the Pacers a guy that can take somebody off the dribble. I think Oladipo was that. I don't know that he would continue to be. So I just, I mean, I don't see the downside, honestly, for Indiana. I just, I just really don't. I think what also matters for them and the other downside, and I did this right now, but the other downside of not having read or listened extensively to other stuff, you're going to have to trust my math here. They're shaving like four plus million dollars in salary, which gives them more room under the tax. And I'm not going to count a team's, you know, I'm not going to count a team remaining far into the tax 
but the reality is Indiana's not going into the tax. And so this gives them a little bit more flexibility leading into the trade deadline. What this also does, because look, there's a chance that if Levert's salary is averaging 17.5 million, is there a chance that that ends up being like between nine and 11 million less than what Victor Oladipo is making? And yes, the, the, because the 2021 free agency class is all of a sudden shallow, the answer is yes. TJ Warren is going to be a free agent in 2022. This probably gives you more flexibility to now keep him and you still have Levert. I do like the fit overall, just because there's a clear path to Levert having the ball in his hands here, which is how he's sort of best served. And, you know, you can stagger him in Brogdon, and while he will have to play off Sabonis some, uh, you can stagger him from Sabonis. That's probably what's more important. What is really odd, though, and I view this as almost encouraging, but it's something that's worth noting. So over the past three seasons, he's shooting 37.1% about, 37% on off-the-dribble three-pointers. That's incredible. He's shooting 30% on catch-and-shoot threes. And it's almost encouraging because in theory, the catch-and-shoot stuff is easier to pin down. But like that is also an issue because you need him to play off of Sabonis some. Malcolm Brockton a little bit, Warren a little bit. Maybe the Pacers will heavily stagger them. Who knows? But it is something to monitor. That being said, just for the value of what it is, knowing what Victor Oladipo is going to cost you. And I think the other thing you mentioned, but we're not talking about enough, I don't think Victor Oladipo wanted to be in Indiana. It was Jay Michael put it based on his response to denying the rumors that Victor Oladipo is as loyal as his options. And he was going to have <laughs> a bunch of options in free agency. And look, if he really was, I, I can't remember who reported this, so I feel bad. I, was it from The Athletic, I think, that he was asking other players if he could join their team last season? He denied that, but if, if that was at all happening, so there's not even, we don't have to view this as a callous element of, oh, they opted to pay a slightly inferior player less money than what it would have cost to retain Oladipo. Maybe Oladipo didn't want to be there, in which case that makes this decision even more of a no-brainer. Yeah, I agree. I think that is real, too. I, I just don't, I don't feel like, the the reports of him wanting out, not in so many words, like those seemed like very legitimately. So, you know, we never can be sure, but that's not the type of thing that someone just gets wrong. I, I It didn't feel that way to me. So, so yeah, I don't know. They're, they're, even, again. even the way he returned, like he was, he announced that he wasn't going to play in the bubble instead of the Pacers, which was weird. And then he announced that he was going to play and it wasn't the Pacers, which was also weird. There's always yeah. seemed, not always, but lately, at least the past year plus, it feels like there's been that disconnect there. And I do believe that needs to be baked into any verdict of this deal. And ultimately, it makes it look a lot better for the Pacers. Well, and let's. this is maybe a small thing, but you can correct me. I, I don't think Oladipo has really ever chosen where he's played because he's he was, you know, Signed with Orlando as a rookie, traded to the Thunder, traded to the Pacers, and you know signed a new deal in, in that time. But it was, I think, it was an extension. So he, maybe it's just like it just cuts, it just augurs towards he he if he wanted to explore free agency for the first time, like that's that's totally justifiable. It may, it doesn't mean he's like a bad guy. I think that's probably what some people will think whenever a player says he wants out. But yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't. I he wasn't going to be on the Pacers beyond the season. I I that's my opinion. I. So to get anything, let alone a potential young, really good rotation player, is great. And he's really run the gamut of trade value. When you look at, he was first traded for Serge Ibaka, then Paul George, and now Karis LeVert. Like that's just <laughs> like that's very pinbally. So I do think two teams that are inevitably going to be impacted by this are the Wizards because everyone's going to focus on Bradley Beal now, and it's not even like James Harden was the domino; everyone was waiting to fall. The other name, one of the other names, people were monitoring was Victor Oladipo, and he was moved within the same deal. So the attention shifts to Bradley Beal. There's also the Sixers, who it seems like they were heavily involved. The reporting going around 
right before the Harden deal was done, it really seemed like Houston was trying to get more out of Philly, or maybe they were trying to leverage Philly against Brooklyn. Uh, but it wasn't just them getting Ben Simmons and then salary to make it work. It was they were going to get Tyrese Maxey and or Matisse Thibel and maybe picks, and Philly was trying to find a third team to facilitate picks. I got killed for this take on Twitter uh, by Rockets fans, so take that with a grain of salt because their player was James Harden. My, I was of the opinion that Philly should not trade Ben Simmons for James Harden, and I justified it like this is I know we romanticize the unknown and we're doing that with the Nets picks a little bit. Like, Oh, how could you trade your picks in 2025 and 2026? Ben Simmons is not an unknown. He's a 24 year old, all NBA type star under contract, including the season for the next half, half decade, no player options, moving him for Bradley Beal, who is both younger and a comfier fit beside Joel Embiid would make more sense to me than going after Harden. He shrinks your title window because of his age, and there's greater combustibility there just because of how ball-dominant, how polarizing he is on offense. And here's where the take I alluded to, I don't even know if it's that spicy or like, I hope you all were waiting for this. Maybe it's stupid. There's a chance I feel differently if this were a normal season. But the pandemic has turned the NBA into this competitive crapshoot. And the competitive balance is just on tilt now, I don't know that this was the season to go all in on a deal because what is happening is you're losing at minimum one year in which you don't have the usual amount of control over title viability. And we've seen it in Philly right now with having Ben Simmons this time when he was in the health and safety protocol. Uh, so it's not that you couldn't win the title this year with James Harden, but your team, you could have, you might win the title without James Harden. That's just how these things go. And it might be the same argument for the Nets is, was this the season to do this? And you could counter with, well, Harden only has one year left on his deal after this anyway. So why wouldn't you want more of James Harden? Yes, objectively, you want as much of James Harden as you can get. But for a team like Philly, where they have a top 20 player who's six, seven years younger, whatever it is at this point, under locking key for the next half decade, that same urgency isn't there as it is for the Nets. They're not, you know, they maybe they have to worry about a Joel Embiid trade request. That's not really as like gutting, I think, as people necessarily think it is. And that's not an insult to Joel Embiid. It's like they could turn around, they would still then have Ben Simmons in that scenario to build their entire team around. Whereas with Harden, because he's older, it just shrinks your window so much. For for the Nets, I think you can justify it because that's the the image of their team is this finite truncated title window for philly they're competing for both the now and later they're similar to the celtics except they're not going to tell everybody they almost acquired every (laughs) single player that was on the market so that's where i look at this for the sixers um i don't know what ends up happening with simmons and Embiid, and maybe if bradley beals on the table i'd be curious to see if you think they should give up simmons for him and i don't know that i definitely would i will say i guess to round this out is i would have I would trade Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal before I would have traded him for for James Harden, even though James Harden is is clearly the better player. I, I think I agree with that. Um, I, and and the better player thing, I mean, I, I guess so, but I, I it has been the better player. Um, right. I, I, and I, I think we've sort of alluded to it several times, but in addition to the whole like the 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 stylistic overhaul or the stylistic challenges, I guess I should say that hard having James Harden on your team presents like they're generally good challenges because he kind of makes your offense good by himself, but they're challenges. And, and I think it's, 
just difficult to fit him sometimes. Beal just doesn't have any of that. And so, yeah, Harden is, you know, like the gold standard for high volume, high efficiency scoring, like has just done it better than anybody from a numbers perspective. I just kind of think, and, and he's won way more than Beal has, and he's been a, a, a more singular driver of winning than Beal has. But yeah, for sure. If you're, if you, it, not even specifically to the Sixers, but but especially to the Sixers, a player like Beal just it just makes more sense. So if you, yeah, I agree. So if you're gonna trade Simmons for a, an offensive star, and you're almost any team, I just think it's so much easier if that guy is Beal than if it's Harden. I mean, not even we haven't talked about age. I mean, there's the age thing too. Uh, I think you know if you look out, you know, forecast the next three years, like Harden's trend line is going to be headed down. Beal is at an apex and could stay at that plateau for and a while, just based on his age. Part of that, what makes it so valid, what you just said about Harden, is because he's been such an Iron Man throughout his career. Is it's like it's not necessarily the style he plays; it's just how much he has played. So is Clay Thompson. Like right. that, the, the, we talk about these Iron Man until they're just not, and like that's how the that's how a lot of Iron Man streaks tend to end. DeAndre it's Jordan just, can't move anymore. There can't you move anymore. No. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I just I'm just echoing what you're saying. I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's a sensible take. Beal fits. Beal's next three years, I'll bet you, will be more valuable than Harden's. That's nah, probably whatever. I'll say it. Um, <laughs> and, and he just yeah. So although. Let's. Do you think that if because it felt like starting this season that sort of Simmons and Embiid were on like a trial period? That's how sort of how it was played. Like let's let's see if this works. If it doesn't work, I'm Daryl Morey. You know I'm going to do something. Do you think that if the Sixers had not started out this well and if Embiid had not looked like an MVP and all this stuff, do you think they would have done the Simmons deal or was that just because my thought is they sort of drew the line at like uh, yeah. Our, we'll do seven future first round assets, but like eight, that's ridiculous. Like I just, I, I just have a hard time believing that the Sixers start, you know, made this just not happen. I think like the packet, if the package made sense to the Sixers, they would have done it. I don't think this was, you know, a successful trial period that like staved off a trade from happening. One of the other things as people pointed out too, is that Beal as of now is not available. And so you weren't making that decision of Harden or Beal. I still wouldn't have made this deal if I were the Sixers, just because is there a chance that they're able to pull off like a smaller scale move without having to give up one of their stars that's similarly impactful? Like now that Tyrese Maxey has emerged, you have Danny Green's expiring contract. The Raptors are bad. What if Kyle Lowry becomes available? What if you can get Zach Levine from Chicago? It probably takes a bunch of picks to go along with Maxey and Filler. But like that's, it seems like there's less risk there because you're not cutting into the incumbent star power that you already have. And you could probably even talk me into that a smaller, even a smaller move than that makes this team like just as fit to really make some noise in the playoffs. I do agree with your overarching point though of, this doesn't necessarily feel like Philly was so good in the limited time that they've seen Embiid and Simmons together this year. That's why they didn't make this deal. It had to be a matter of they were never going to do it or Houston wanted too much uh, or you know something in between where it's uh, they just weren't sure. They didn't see enough yet because we're still super early in the season and both Embiid and Simmons have missed some games. They were staggering them less. It's like maybe you can get a better feel for how they were playing if you're looking at that. But it definitely doesn't feel like uh, you know it was, oh, this was – 
you know, that they were they were on the the goal line and then something happened that pushed them away. It felt like something that they were very standoffish from in general. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you got anything else? I just you just made me think of one more question, but but that's I, I don't know what else I have to say about this. I do. I have one question related to Bradley being on the Wizards, but if yours is yeah. related to the Sixers, uh, nah, it's just a general thing. Go ahead. So I'm wondering if what just happened helps or hurts. Bradley Beal's trade value because I look at it in sort of two veins is one they've taken another star off the board Drew Holiday's traded even Victor Oladipo has been traded so he's like the only guy and because of how thin 2021 free agency is any teams that even if they were going to have cap space this summer it's just not as valuable so if you want a star you need to fork over the moon to get Beal now that being said looking at all these teams that have just given up so much to get these stars it also feels like the market for Beal has just become more finite where if you know is it fair to say even though I would trade Simmons for Beal before I would Harden is it fair to say that the Sixers think if they weren't going to trade Simmons for a top five player they're not going to trade him at all and so now you remove them from the books uh you've clearly you know the Bucks aren't going to be able to piece together a package and it's just I'm looking you know I'm going up and down the list of prospective teams and it's like you know the Thunder and Pelicans could do something wild if they wanted to but they're not Houston. They're not Milwaukee. Or excuse me, they're not Brooklyn. They're not Milwaukee. They're not that close to a title. Uh, Miami just doesn't, I guess Miami, but at the same time, it's like, does Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and then fewer picks than um, New Orleans got for Drew Holiday really wet your whistle if you're Washington for Bradley Beal? I, I honestly don't know. The Warriors could still do some weird stuff, but it really feels like this isn't the season for them to do it either just they need to see what they have in in clay thompson and the team at large before they make that call well especially since andrew wiggins is going to be first team all defensive this year i'm sorry could we i know you're not falling into this trap but every at least for the past three or four years andrew wiggins has like these scorching hot starts to the season and people buy into them every time (laughs) i saw there's an article i think it was from the NBC's bay area warriors whatever it is that the wiggins trade was a heist for golden state (laughs) I think in retrospect, right now they're winning it, and that's not a take I had at the time, so I'll cop to being wrong. But a, a heist? Like, can we get to game 25, which Wiggins has never done playing at this level before we make that verdict? Nope. I'm one of those people, Dan. I get it. I get I, I, the Andrew Wiggins. Heist. Heist, pump, though. Pump, pump the, the Andrew Wiggins Kool-Aid. I'm not going to drink it. Pump it into my veins because he's never defended like this. I, I had no idea. That's not a red flag at all. <laughs> no right yeah <laughs> and he's definitely not known for just being awesome for a week and then terrible for another week no but but uh the the beal thing i i am legit i texted my brother who is we were equally diehard warriors fans before i had this job and now he still is and i'm trying to get back there but i'm struggling to be impartial my text was andrew wiggins is fucking good and i meant it sincerely so like his defensive play has been incredible and he's just played really well. But we're not talking about Andrew Wiggins. Um, he'll be terrible next week. I'm, I'm positive. Um, the Beal thing. Uh, I think the Harden trade is good for Beal for two reasons. One, it sets the market. Um, okay. I, it, this is what it costs now. And if, if there's even a question, as we have just spent several minutes talking about, that Beal is – is he a better asset than James Harden? I don't know. If there's even a question, which I think we, there is a question, um, this is this is the market. Now, it's complicated because, you know, Brooklyn was in a unique position with all these forces pushing them to do crazy stuff that we, you know, just discussed. But the other thing is, 
you know, you'll say, well, there's just, there are fewer destinations. You know, some of these teams that would have been players for Beal are, are maybe not going to be. I think the Sixers uh, and Nets just proved that it only takes two. It only takes two teams That's a good to point. Just, just make the, the hey, price the go through the roof. It only takes one. It only takes one in some cases. But yeah, so I think it's great for Beal, um, or great for the Wizards, I guess, since since they're the ones that are going to reap the benefits here. Um, but, but yeah, I, I understand that the idea of, you know, the Nets would have made sense for him and, and the Sixers would make sense, but maybe they're just not trading Simmons. Um, but yeah, I, I think you set the market and we know it doesn't take a whole league, uh, bidding against one another to really have this incredible return package materialize. One team that I would like to see make a run at Beal would be Phoenix. Throw Aiton oh, on the table. Man. Cam Johnson, Jalen Smith, you need Darius Arch salaries to work for Beal and Robin Lopez. That really guts their depth up front because Sarich and Aiton have both been playing center. Smith is another body that you would throw at center. It's like there's levels to that. But just the way that the offense has, you know, it's like kind of sort of struggles still figuring itself out. Like Beal is just, you could really inject some juice in there. And if you have lineups of Booker, Paul, Mikael Bridges, and 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 Beal, and then just whoever the fifth is, is it Robin Lopez? Is it, you know, maybe you're able to keep Jalen Smith instead of getting Robin Lopez. And there, there are picks in there, obviously. Um, can you sign a big off the street? You still have Frank Kaminsky. I, they would be incredibly interesting to me. And Beal's, Beal intrigues me there because Phoenix has probably, based on talent, it feels like they've underachieved a little bit on offense. But he's also, like, not bad enough on defense where you're just dealing with these three offensive first players. Chris Paul is above average at his position still. And if Beal is just going to be okay there, like he has been for good points of this season, they just, that's a team that I would like to, and Aiton suddenly feels expendable, which is part of it for me is like, now you, you have that glitzy trade chip that you could still move. And I would love to see Bradley Beal in Phoenix. I think that'd be a fantastic fit. Yeah. I think that's great. It's a testament to Beal though, that you could pick literally any team and, without having to do any sort of gymnastics say like well that, that makes sense if Beal is on that team it's a good you know point. that works so but yeah no the, the Suns are definitely one I I just uh I mean he's gonna I, I don't know what I think about he's getting he's moved get is that straight, what you're gonna say right? yeah he's it has to happen now right. don't you think yeah I mean in Washington look the Russell Westbrook experiment is failing Thomas Bryan is done for the season uh, they they are better than the third worst team in the east on paper but Right now, they're still the third worst team in the East, and Bradley Beal has said he wants to win, even though he hasn't requested a trade. He bought them sometime with the extension they've signed, but like they just don't have a way out of this situation. It's also bad luck that Davis Bertans is not shooting nearly as well as they expected to after giving him a boatload of money. So my guess would be that he's moved before the trade deadline, not even before next season. I would think that he'll get moved before March 25th. Although you know maybe some teams are thinking along the lines of the way. I was just talking to you where is this the season to do this because so much more than usual is outside of their control. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, th- I think he'll move. Um, I think it just has to happen. There's, I, I don't even know what the other potential trade domino is. Like, I don't know who the other marquee player would be. Yeah. There's like right now, I know we say that there's always another star trade in the NBA lurking around the corner and that's not wrong, but like you can always kind of see them festering and right now, there's just not that situation. The The Suns took care of it with Devin Booker by getting Paul. Um, Harden is now gone, and you saw that coming from forever away. Beal, if that gets resolved. And so, like, what is the alternative? Like, Kyle Lowry really isn't on that scale right now. Yeah. Is it Steph? 
Like, is it Steph? I don't think it is, but is it? No. Uh, and maybe Carl Anthony so. Towns, but that's, Ooh. you know, they went all, I mean, he has four years left on his deal. I don't know. That would be, like, that is jumping the the gun here a, a ton if, if it ends up being being him. So there's not that other name, which I guess is probably good for Beal's trade value. Yeah, again, there's another. There, we didn't even add that to the list of, of reasons why he's kind of a winner here. What was um, uh, your observation or question that you had? It was just so <clears throat> obviously the way Harden sort of conducted his business created urgency for the Rockets to move him. Uh, although they could have just said, I think they were going to say like just kind of go away for a while. It seemed like what was which what was going to happen. Um, and and then Brooklyn suddenly for I think fell into this this urgent situation. It just struck me as strange that um, it seemed like both parties that eventually the main parties the nets and the rockets might have like i just i'm I'm just who do you think felt more urgency to do this now um because it seems like it should have been the rockets but the way this came together so fast and in conjunction with the Kyrie stuff it almost feels like brooklyn this total speculation brooklyn probably had an offer on the table and upped it is the, the sense that I get. Because I don't think the Harden saying this is unfixable and all this stuff, like that wasn't really that different from how he'd been operating with the Rockets. So I don't feel like that was the straw that broke the camel's back and they're like, oh, he's got to go now. It feels more to me like the Nets said, we got to do it. And it just, that's a weird, that's weird to me that the urgency came from the team that is getting the disgruntled star as opposed to the one giving it up. That's that, not really a question, just a thought. That, or could Houston have looked at it as, oh, Kyrie has just thrown them into this, you know, <laughs> just this hurricane of uncertainty, and now their picks look even better, so we'll take this offer. I think I'm with you, though, is it feels like the Nets became more urgent. And I, again, it feels like that's at least explicable because the Kyrie Irving stuff all of a sudden happened. You lost Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, still, I would be curious to know what their initial offer was that they upped it from, or maybe not initial, but what was their previous offer? So, because how far up did they go? Like this is this was the the entire war chest. The only thing they spared was Spencer Dinwiddie instead of Torian Prince. I would say, and maybe the only reason they did that is because Spencer Dinwiddie isn't healthy. Yeah, like what was what was the Rockets' initial ask? You know, because you you come in high, obviously, if you're going to negotiate. Like they couldn't have asked for more than they got. I mean, almost literally. It's it's crazy that like the negotiating. I would love to know what the back and forth was because to arrive at this, like I just can't fathom a, a, what the Rockets wanted that they didn't get out of this. Do you? What the other question that kind of springs to mind here is: Do you think there's a problem? That James, what happened with James Harden hints at a problem of players asking out too far before their contracts are up. I've mostly tilted toward this is happening with maybe one player a year, and it's it's only if you're a top 15 player is as far out as you can go with it. That being said, I kind of already mentioned, like, what if it's just Carl Anthony Towns is all of a sudden like, I need out of Minnesota because they're just still so bad, and he has, it's not now, let's say it's next season when he has um, three years left, um, including that year. So, do you think this is an issue or is that element of it overblown? I go back and forth and I'm wondering if when I sort of feel like it is an issue, it's just because some of these, when they do happen, again, that one player per year thing, it's so drawn out and over covered and talked about that it feels like it's happening more often than it actually is. 
Yeah, one well, the one trade a year has a way of sort of consuming a hugely disproportionate percentage of like what we talk about over the course of a given season. So it can seem like it's you know way more prevalent than it is. My kind of default, this is just what feels most rational to me, um, is just that. Yeah, yeah. Players sign contracts, and in in any other line of work, you honor your contract, and and you would understand that like this may not go the way that you want it to, but you're signing this thing, and you are obliged to abide by the terms of this thing you signed. And we're not guaranteeing you that everything's going to be exactly how you want it to be. So I understand that argument. You sign a contract, suck it up, stay put. That just feels like kind of the crotchety old man approach to it that ignores the, idea, the the very real scenario where teams can just trade you. So I think it's Zach Lowe that said all, all trade demands do is even the playing field. It's it's because if a team can trade a player under contract without his consent, assuming there's no you know ability to block a trade, then in theory it's only fair that a player, at least a player of the kind that we're talking about, the Hardens, the Anthony Davises, like that level of player – at least that guy should have the same amount of power to to say, I, you know what, I, I want to move now. So so all to me, the idea that it levels the playing field resonates as as true and, and feels equitable. Although we just saw that the guys that play with Harden, that whose opinions should really matter, were like, this is some bullshit. Like we, the, you know, so the players definitely don't seem to feel that way when a guy angles for get to get out i don't know if that's more specific to the way harden conducted things but uh it feel to me i'm not i'm not the, the concept of player empowerment to me is not a negative i think it's taken on a negative connotation like people grumble about it uh but but i honestly don't have a problem with it harden could have handled it better i don't begrudge him wanting to play someplace else and the other thing is it it works both sides where it's the people who are sort of trumpeting player empowerment as this great thing. I think that's definitely overblown because it applies to such a select few. But then the grumps who are like, oh yeah, it's all skewed toward these superstars and what they want to do. It's well, because it's just those 10 or 15 players, like it's just not as big of an issue. So I I think I really agree with you there. I don't, you know, I just don't, it feels like there's this void for the first time in a while. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe we focus more on the basketball now, but because Giannis has resigned just because it feels like the superstar trade market is now barren. There's this void there, and I'm wondering how the news cycle or how the league landscape reacts because, look, media is going to cover stuff, but like their teams are thinking far out. And so if there aren't any splashy, imminent plans that they can focus on, like the chatter's gradually going to shift to, hey, the Boston Celtics are planning on pairing Carl Anthony Towns with Tatum and Jalen Brown <laughs> at some point. So I – I'm curious as to the response or will it just be all Beal everything. And because we both think that he's going to get moved before the trade deadline, like we're going to find out about a lot about the discourse thereafter. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I I think, but I, what my hope is that we could just like, just for like a month, assuming there are going to be games played over the next month, which is actually, that's the biggest story now is like, what are we going to do about Isn't that part of it though? Imagine giving up this much for a player and like, there's still, I don't know what the percent chance is because the NBA will probably come hell or high water. Like they're going to soldier through this at the same time. It's like, is there a 1% chance that there's not even a championship crowned this year? In which case you've just like punted on so many assets um, for nothing. (laughs) Like, it's it's not zero. I mean, there, it, right. it's a, there's a non-zero chance. Yeah, no that 
That is, so whatever Brooklyn's uh, grade is, you got to knock it down by like a tenth of a percentage point just to account for the possibility that there will be no champion this year because their goal is to win a champion. No, I just I wish I hope we can focus on the basketball because one thing these trades did, all four of these teams got way more interesting. Uh, like I I want to know. I want to know how the Nets are going to look. I want to know what Levert's. I like. I'm actually interested in the basketball aspect of this. It would be cool if we could focus on that. I don't think the 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 people that consume NBA content are as interested in that as talking about Bradley Beal trade packages. But uh, it's it's fun yeah, to dream sometimes. That's where NBA Twitter sort of you know goes on a detour. Where and look, I want to focus more on the basketball too. But Twitter is like such a small snapshot of the. The, the demographic that the NBA is targeting. There's clearly an issue when you look at ratings and stuff, but like Twitter is not like that's a that's a snapshot of a snapshot. And I, there's proof in the numbers based on what we do for a living that people care about the stuff that's happening off the court in theory, in trade rumors, a lot more than they care about going in depth on Portland's defense this season or Rachon Holmes's floaters because he hasn't missed one since 2018, I don't think. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's. I hope we do get to focus more. And look, these teams are fascinating. I'm sure we'll focus on the basketball for a little bit, but I'm mentioning all these names. Who are we going to shift to next? We might already be on Kyrie at this point because he's, Stephen A is calling for him to retire. So that's going to take on a life of its own. I'm not advocating for any of this. I'm just, it feels like there's a sense of finality to the way that the, the news cycle has been running itself, but it can't be actual finality. So it's going to shift to just something that's so either like far, I guess far away would be the way to put it because Beal is sort of that last strand of, well, which really great star, which top 20 player is going to move next. Yeah. Cycles don't have endpoints. That's, that's why they're cycles. So we'll come up with, we'll talk about, like, it doesn't even have to be Beal. Like, it'll just be, what about Zach Levine? Like, got to get him out of Chicago. He's going to be, you know, it will just be the the next tier down of players will just suddenly become the. It won't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, it, it, that'll be the next group that we talk about. I, I, Towns, though, I don't know, man. T- Towns is an interesting one. It's, pro- it's way th- too early. He has but. three more years left on his deal. That would be if it even if it happens this off. If he does it when he has three plus seasons or three seasons left on his deal, that would be wild. Yeah. Well, that's one uh, where if you're the Wolves, you just say like, nah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> right. Like, hey, we got you one of your best friends. We're just going to yeah. have to. Uh, do you have anything else on this or tangentially related to this? Hmm. Is there, no, a team, said... is there a team of these four that you're most interested to watch after this? Oh, oh it's got to be Brooklyn. Um, I just I just want to see how the experiment works. Yeah, that felt like that I, was I, a terrible I... question on my part. No. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, actually, so one of the things I did in the wake of this was kind of just Th- slap together depth charts for these four teams as as they'll look the Rockets starting five is like kind of fun because if you go Wall, Oladipo, Gordon maybe it's House I think it should be Gordon Tucker and Christian Wood I don't know how good that is but that's interesting like, Tucker's that's getting a- traded right not to bring this back to trade no but- well yeah see there you did it you've done it, done it already. <laughs> well, I was gonna try to talk about the basketball fit and you go to talk about- no I- yeah that's 100 true the Rockets have to trade Tucker um, and he does fit perfectly into the Warriors uh, disabled player exception so keep that keep an eye on that one um, yeah no I- it-, it the Rockets are interesting but but the Nets for sure like I just this is going to be fascinating. I do not envy Steve Nash. I, I did not want him to take this job because I just thought it was going to be, you know, the standards were going to be too high and it was going to be a headache. But now the standards are higher and the headaches are bigger. So it's it's going to be wild. 
this was great, Grant. I always love parsing through these things with you. Um, I'm not sure whether the next time you come on, it'll be because of a Bradley Beal reaction trade, Carl Anthony trade demand, or if we'll be talking about actual basketball, if you're on before anything like that happens. Um, but I, again, I always love these convos. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Guys, if you're not following Grant or his work, you can do so at GT underscore Hughes on Twitter. And it's great because maybe he won't tweet all the time, but you'll get the notification when he does because it'll be the first time he tweeted in a while. So you can scroll right to that tweet. Don't even have to sift through your timeline. Um, thanks so much, Grant. And I'm, I'll be talking to you soon, as you very well know at this point. Thanks, Dan. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.